Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Well, Ukraine continues to dominate not only the news, hello everybody, but also my survey questions at Smirconish.com. And if the voting on the survey questions is indicative of how you are feeling about this subject, then you are very interested in it. Yesterday, 9,137 votes were cast on this question. If Russian troops enter separatist-held eastern Ukraine, is it an invasion? Well, to those who voted, this was like a no-brainer yesterday. 94.17% said, yes, it is. The no votes were 5% and change. Okay, let's call it 95% say, yeah, if they enter eastern Ukraine... It is an invasion. How far will they go is today's survey question at Smirconish.com. But before I tell you how I worded it, the Associated Press yesterday actually published an explainer. You know how they do the explainer? It's like the version for dummies. And I'm always attracted to them, whether they're at AP or at Vox or even USA Today. But they had an explainer on when is the word invasion appropriate. They said use of the term invasion is important in this case because it sets the stage for what Biden said could become multiple waves of economic sanctions in coordination with NATO allies and other countries who view Putin's aggression as a violation of international law and a threat to the order of Europe. Okay, makes sense. Sanctions, after all, are the West's main tool for pushing back because they have ruled out taking on Russian Russia militarily. I need to do a segment here, TC, remind me of of sanctions for dummies. Like, what are sanctions? I, I know three oligarchs have been singled out by Boris Johnson, but sometimes it feels like it's double secret probation. And maybe that's my naivete. Back to the Associated Press. They say it's difficult to see this as anything other than an invasion. Although people can argue over terminology, the disagreements would fade if, as many expect, Putin launches a full-scale offensive to topple Kiev. Well, that's one of my answers to today's survey question. Will he try and advance that far? Biden said it defies logic to think that Putin has taken such extensive military preparations, including putting more than 150,000 troops on the border and moving blood supplies to those areas for reasons other than invading his neighbor. You may have heard the president say yesterday, you don't need blood unless you plan on starting a war. There's a Notre Dame 
uh, law professor named Mary Ellen O'Connell, an expert on international law and the use of force. She says any crossing of a national border with military forces is unlawful, even if it's called something other than an invasion. A lawful response is gauged by the scale and effects of the incursion, she said, using force to take control of an entire country, displacing a government and military forces loyal to its most extreme form of violation. So that's the definition of invasion, according to the Associated Press and some of their experts. Today I'm asking, so how far is he going to push? How far will Putin advance? The choices I offer are eastern Ukraine, which is seemingly underway as we speak, although, you you know, you just haven't seen, as I come on air today, you you just haven't seen the videotape of, of the border being crossed. But they say that perhaps some of those movements already took place last night, if not sooner. How far will he advance? Eastern Ukraine, Kiev, all of Ukraine. Other former Soviet states or none of the above. There would be pushback, obviously, every step of the way. As a matter of fact, uh, Axios this morning uh, says, as the threat of a large scale Russian invasion grows, Ukraine's government introduced a 30 day state of emergency. They called up military reservists between the age of 18 and 60. 60, interesting, right? And voted to allow ordinary civilians to carry firearms. Uh, Axios national security reporter Zachary Basu was told by a U.S.-based source in contact with the Ukrainian government, boy, are they going to fight. I do believe that the Russians don't quite understand what they're going to face. We shall soon find out, sadly. The question of then how far President Biden will go remains a bit up in the air. He's made it clear that he would not send U.S. troops into Ukraine, but yesterday said that he's ordered a shifting of European-based U.S. troops to three NATO members who feel most vulnerable to potential Russian attack. That's Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, three Baltic states that were annexed by Moscow following World War II and regained their independence after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the early 90s, I think 91. So the president also announced heavy financial sanctions against Russian banks and oligarchs and said that more would be imposed if Putin extends his invasion. I did a lot of reading in in terms of where are we. I can't remember whose analysis it was, but they said that the sanctions thus far amount to an amuse-bouche. Am I saying that right, TC? Here is your amuse-bouche from the chef. First time I ever received amuse-bouche, I thought it was only for me. And then I saw other diners. They sat down. They got the same thing. And then you weren't so amused? I think it was like a mushroom in a spoon. <laughs> yes, I was just booshed. I was not amused. So many things I can um, say right now. But the point is, they say, well, this is just the first way. This is the first course. It's not even the first course. It's just a little, you know, wetting of the appetite. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. 
you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. So we will see what today brings. Today, obviously, it's already much later in Kiev. Politico playbook noting, The question remains, what is the appropriate Western response to something significantly short of a significant invasion or not even significant, just major military forces coming across? There are a couple of smart takes today that I thought were uh, were worthy of, of passing along. A friend of mine whose judgment I trust sent me a note last night. I'll I'll tie this together with today's Wall Street Journal, which said some of the crap. This is my friend. Some of the crap coming out of Putin's mouth hasn't been heard from a person with significant military capability since Hitler in the 30s. Fictionalized history, ignorance of treaty and other legal obligations, ethnocentric, racist justifications for conduct, scapegoating, ultra-nationalism, and naked threats of military action. And then, of course, there's the conduct itself, Crimea and Donetsk region equals Sudan land. Many of people, many people have made that comparison to, uh, to to Hitler and the 30s. I was thinking about my friend as I was reading this uh, triple byline in the Wall Street Journal today that talks about Putin in an era of COVID. And tell me what you make of this assessment. I, as I was reading it, I was thinking of the imagery. I'll bet you've seen of Macron meeting with Putin at a 20-foot-long table and there's nobody else at it, like one's at one end and one's at the other end. Or I also saw footage of Putin meeting with his ministers. Same type of a situation. He was so far away that they, they, they needed to use microphones. So I was thinking about that when listening to this and wondering, are they questioning his fitness? I'm thinking about my friend who says, you know, some of the crap coming out of his mouth. We haven't heard from someone with a military capability since Hitler in the 30s. Here's what the Wall Street Journal reported in part. French President Emmanuel Macron, who has led Europe's diplomatic charge and met or spoke with Mr. Putin a number of times in recent weeks, had developed a rapport with the Russian president in recent years. He hosted Mr. Putin at the Palace of Versailles and at his summer residence 
On the French Riviera, Mr. Putin then came to Paris in 2019 for talks with Germany and Ukraine. Okay, so Macron has established a relationship with Putin. The journal says Macron noticed a change in Putin's demeanor when speaking to him on the phone over the course of the pandemic. Quote, he tended to talk in circles, rewriting history, a close aide to Macron said. That impression hardened when Macron traveled to Moscow two weeks ago as part of a diplomatic push to avert an an invasion, according to French officials. Macron found that Putin was more rigid, more isolated, and had basically gone into a sort of ideological and security-minded drift. The Kremlin's strict health protocols set the tone. Mr. Macron was told that if he wanted to shake Mr. Putin's hand or sit next to him, he needed to arrive nearly seven hours. This is, this is the, the French president. You'll need to arrive seven hours before the meeting. You'll be required to take a PCR test administered by a Russian doctor and without the French, French president's doctor being present. The president, meaning Macron, decided a picture of him shaking hands with Putin was not worth all of this. So Putin says, you can come and you can meet with me, but you're going to be at the end of that 20-foot-long table unless you get here seven hours ahead of time and outside the presence of your doctor. This is like uh, um, Captain Quig kind of things. Where are the strawberries, isn't it? Isn't that what they're saying here? As Moscow continued its military buildup, Macron worked to keep the lines of communication open between Putin and other Western leaders. On Sunday, Putin told Macron on the phone that he was willing to meet Biden, an idea that Macron had earlier pitched to the U.S. leader, according to French officials. On Monday, Putin delivered a broadside to Macron's diplomacy an hour before he publicly announced Russia was recognizing the independence of the breakaway Ukraine region. The Russian leader called Macron and informed him of the decision. Macron was stunned. Telling Putin that he was making a grave decision, Putin then deepened their concerns, the French official said, with a historical political speech that was operational, accusatory, and mixed, let's say, various considerations of a rigid and paranoid nature. Am I wrong? The Wall Street Journal seems to be saying that that in the, in the era of COVID, amidst this pandemic, that the guy's off his rocker, I think. Madeline Albright, this from the New York Times today, just giving you the best of what I've read in and trying to assess the developments in Ukraine. Madeline Albright says, um, I thought this was interesting, just two paragraphs. In early 2000, I became the first senior U.S. official to meet with Vladimir Putin in his new capacity as acting president of Russia. We in the Clinton administration did not know much about him at the time, just that he had started his career with the KGB. I hoped the meeting would help me take the measure of the man and assess what his sudden elevation might mean for U.S.-Russia relations, which had deteriorated amidst the war in Chechnya. Sitting across a small table from him in the Kremlin, I was immediately struck by the contrast between Mr. Putin and his bombastic predecessor, Boris Yeltsin. Whereas Yeltsin had cajoled, blustered, and flattered, Putin spoke unemotionally and without notes about his determination to resurrect Russia's economy and quash Chechen rebels. 
Flying home, I recorded my impressions. So this is what she writes. Madeleine Albright, the former Secretary of State, en route home to the United States after, after having met Putin for the first time. Putin is small and pale, so cold as to be almost reptilian. He claimed to understand why the Berlin Wall had to fall, but had not expected the whole Soviet Union to collapse. Putin is embarrassed by what happened to his country and determined to restore its greatness. That was Madeleine Albright reflecting on a meeting that was 22 years ago, which I think sounds prescient today. If He's nothing if not consistent unless he's been done in by COVID. And then one more, Tom Friedman uh, writing uh, also in The Times saying that it's partly our fault. And here's his explanation. Friedman argues that we we made a mistake by letting in these former Soviet bloc countries into NATO. He says, quote, in my view, there are two huge logs fueling the fire. The first log was the ill-considered decision by the U.S. in the 90s to expand NATO after, indeed, despite the collapse of the Soviet Union. And the second and far bigger log is how Putin cynically exploited NATO's expansion closer to Russia's borders to rally Russians to his side to cover for his huge failure of leadership. Putin has utterly failed to build Russia into an economic model that would actually attract its neighbors, not repel them, and inspire its most talented people to want to stay, not get in line for visas to the West. We need to take a look at both of these logs. Most Americans paid scant attention to the expansion of NATO in the late 90s and early 2000s to countries in Eastern and Central Europe like Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, all of which had been part of the former Soviet Union or its sphere of influence. It was no mystery why these nations would want to be part of an alliance that obligated the U.S. to come to their defense in the event of an attack by Russia, the rump successor to the Soviet Union. The mystery was why the U.S., which throughout the Cold War dreamed that Russia might one day have a democratic revolution and a leader who, however haltingly, would try to make Russia into a democracy and join the West, would choose to quickly push NATO into Russia's face When it was weak, I hadn't thought of it until Tom Friedman wrote it. I always thought that it was opportune for us after the collapse of the Soviet Union to quickly bring into the fold those nations that he just rattled off. But he makes the observation that, that no, this this was perhaps the worst thing we could have done, because when Russia was weak, we were taking advantage and rubbing it in their face. And now we've ratcheted up the tension Because beyond Ukraine, we've got all these NATO allies that Putin feels threatened by. Here's how he here's how he goes on to make his case. I think this is important. And then I'll stop. Friedman says on May the 2nd, 1998, immediately after the Senate ratified NATO expansion. I called George Keenan, the architect of America's successful containment of the Soviet Union. Having joined the State Department in 1926 and served as U.S. Ambassador to Moscow in 1952, Keenan was arguably America's greatest expert on Russia. Though 94 at the time and frail of voice, he was sharp of mind when I asked for his opinion on NATO expansion. And then Friedman gives the totality of what Keenan told him. 
I think it's the beginning of a new Cold War, he said. I think the Russians will gradually react quite adversely and it will affect their policies. I think it's a tragic mistake. This this is this authority at the time that NATO has expanded saying we're making a mistake vis-a-vis Russia. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one was threatening anybody else. This expansion would make the founding fathers of this country turn over in their graves. We have signed up to protect a whole series of countries, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do so in any serious way. NATO expansion was simply a lighthearted action by a Senate that has no real interest in foreign affairs. What bothers me is how superficial and ill-informed the whole Senate debate was. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. Don't people understand our differences in the Cold War were with the Soviet communist regime? And now we are turning our backs on the very people who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. And Russia's democracy is as far advanced, if not farther, as any of these other countries we've just signed up to defend from Russia. Of course, there's going to be a bad reaction from Russia, and then NATO expanders will say that we always told you that is how the Russians are, but this is just wrong. And Friedman says it's exactly what's happened. Interesting takes, right? Tom Friedman, Madeleine Albright, The Wall Street Journal, and of course, all of your telephone calls to come. Today's survey question, how far will Putin advance? Eastern Ukraine, Kiev, all of Ukraine, other former Soviet states, or none of the above? And did we set the stage for this? Was it a mistake? Was it a mistake for us? I must tell you, I I look back on, I was on the radio at the time, like how much thought, how much examination did we give to the NATO expansion? I can only remember my view at the time was one of, hey, this is great. Poland and Hungary and Czech Republic, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, all now on our side. This is wonderful. Without really stopping to think how in the long term this could come back to haunt. Maybe it should have been Russia that we were saddling up to and and not the the former aligned nations. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.